From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. In Elmhurst, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis touting what he says is his state's plummeting crime rates. The reason why you have crime that is spiraled out of control in so many of these different areas is because you have politicians putting woke ideology ahead of public safety. I mean, the message is that hate has no home in Illinois, and neither does he nor his politics. He doesn't represent the values of the people of Illinois. In fact, he's the antithesis to that. Uh, he's demonstrated that he's homophobic, that he's got um, tendencies to promote racism, uh, that you know he's somebody who just doesn't mix well with the values of the people of the state of Illinois. DeSantis's visit, which was billed as a pro-police, backed the blue event, making waves in the Chicago mayor's race just over a week before Election Day, in part because of the Chicago FOP's endorsement of Paul Vallis, who sought to distance himself from the possible presidential hopeful. At the end of the day, DeSantis is a diversion. You know, I'm going to continue to focus on the issues. You know, I'm not paying any attention to DeSantis. If you reject the right wing, and people like Ron DeSantis, then you've got to reject Paul Vallis. Well, that is the Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Before that, Paul Vallis, both running for to be the next Chicago mayor. And they were talking about and reacting to the Florida governor and possible Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis coming to Illinois. While he's eyeing the national stage, his appearance playing into the Chicago mayoral election as well. We'll discuss all that and more coming up on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield, and along with us, we have Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. Joining us today as well, we have Professor Emeritus Chris Mooney. And Chris, thanks for being back with us. Hey, my pleasure, Sean. And Chris, I'll go to you first. DeSantis, well, he's right. not announced he's running for president, but he's showing all the signs of that. Should we read anything into him coming here to the state of Illinois? That is not a state he is certainly going to win on in a general election. But, uh, you know, why make this appearance here? Well, um, you know, DeSantis, he hasn't announced that he's running for president, but he's doing everything like so many people that are, you know, getting prepared, doing what they need to do. It's pretty obvious. Uh, that that's what he's up to. Uh, and he will probably run unless, you know, something bad happens in terms of his popularity or something comes out about him or whatever. So, and and so the question, why is he coming to Illinois? There's no way he's going to win the state of Illinois. Look what happened to Darren Bailey, just got beat by 20%. And this, you know, Ron DeSantis is Darren Bailey without the accent, basically, right? So um, why did he come here? Well, he came here because he's doing what so many of these sort of arch conservatives want to do these days, taking their cue from Fox News, is that they want to own the libs. They want to come in there and rile up the the, the left wing in some way. And he did an excellent job of that, right? He came in, you heard the, the breathless uh, uh, upset that uh, the sort of opponents had about him and uh, stirred up, you know, people in you know conservative white people in in some of these suburbs um again the f the, the fop uh you know that that's it's music to their ears so what it does is gets him attention right it's not gonna it's not gonna change any votes he's not gonna win in illinois he might you know 
he's going to have to compete in the primary here if he runs. So that may be that, but he's not going to win in the general, but that doesn't matter because what he's done is gotten some attention, got some national press, got some, you know, all about this. And, and, you know, again, he gets, he gets to tweak the other side, you know, that's, that's the world we live in now. You want to stick it to the other side and call that a win for the day. Yeah. And Charlie, it seems to me maybe that, uh, you know, when you look at somebody like a J.B. Pritzker, completely the opposite when it comes to the politics of Ron DeSantis, but both of them play off each other pretty well because they can sit there and say, hey, I'm not that guy. Well, one thing I thought interesting, the same day that Governor DeSantis came here, earlier in the day, he was in suburban Philadelphia which Pennsylvania may or may not be a, a battleground state. And he was in Staten Island, New York. And New York is not going to be a battleground state. New York will be for the Democratic candidate. If it goes for the Republican, the Republican will win in a landslide. So I think it was like Chris said, he's trying to get the national exposure. And Chicago is the third largest media market in the nation. And so he's doing that and he's trying to own the libs and he's tweaking Governor Pritzker. And if you guys recall, I believe, didn't Governor Pritzker last year go down to Tampa for the Florida Democratic? <laughs> is that some big event for them down there? Yes. So yeah. And what it all means, I'm thinking that people in Chicago are probably more focused right now on the mayoral race. And people in probably the greater region are focused on that because that's what's going to be important for all of Northeast Illinois and the rest of the state as well. And I, I think there are there, there would be a hardcore supporters of people who would like DeSantis. But in my mind, I'm wondering if Trump is running, are they going to abandon Donald Trump to vote for Ron DeSantis? who Donald Trump has taken to castigating and belittling, or are they going to stick with Donald Trump? Yeah, and Chris, isn't that, isn't that one of the reasons that DeSantis probably needs to, you know, hit the trail early? Well, of course, right. I mean, this whole dance around Trump, and it's the Democrats, I mean, let's be clear. What we're talking about here is is going on in both parties in a, in an interesting way. The 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 one is you know like you say Pritzker goes down and tweaks DeSantis. DeSantis tweaks him up here. It's like they should go on a road together as a buddy team. I remember oh who was it uh, that went on a road with G Gordon Liddy, um, did like a lecture tour. G Gordon Liddy of uh, served time for the Watergate. He was a Watergate burglar guy. Uh, and uh, somebody was, I forget what it was, maybe one of the prosecutors or something like that. They went on, you know, they did a little song dance. That's what they could do because they play off each other so well. They've served each other's purposes perfectly because they both have to win in their primaries first. And that's the politics we're in right now, that it's not about, you know, what, you know, what pro how can we solve this problem? It's about sticking it to the other side and making people angry and inflaming your base. Um, you know, not great governance uh, approach, uh, but that's the way it is. And in, in terms of the prime, in terms of the presidential race, both parties have sort of an heir apparent, more or less, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you got your Biden, you got your Trump, who are sort of these old guys out there saying they're going to run, and nobody wants to step on their toes because they kind of figure they're not going to run. And so, if they step on their toes now, they might get 
slammed before they both to say they're not going to. So it's all such a mess and they have to tiptoe around. But absolutely, that's what uh, DeSantis is doing. And absolutely, that's what Pritzker's doing. Yeah. And Charlie, isn't Pritzker, to some extent, I'm not saying he wants to, you know, hang out with Ron DeSantis or go on the road with him, as was suggested. But he certainly him coming to Illinois is almost like a free swing, you know, in a, in a, in a softball game for, for Pritzker. It gives him an opportunity to weigh in to, you know, push his progressive, um, you know, uh, credentials against a DeSantis. So in some ways, just speaking politically, uh, it probably benefits Pritzker, certainly the Democratic Party. Yeah, I think I think it does. And if you recall, at the very tail end of the governor's state of the state and budget address last week, he took time out to really talk about the the negativity that's emerged in, in national politics, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism, the racism, the uh, homophobia. And he didn't mention DeSantis's name, but it was pretty clear that that's who he was talking about. And he said that we don't have that stuff in Illinois. We teach history warts at all. And he got a very good response from the Democrats, obviously. But I think his positions, at least according to polls I've seen, generally are in tandem with the majority of what the Illinois public believes. Well, we talked here just a moment ago about the Chicago mayoral race and that most people are focused on that. And it's coming to a head. We're going to be seeing the uh, what the voters decide here in just a few days now. But, Chris, you're in Chicago. You've been following this, seeing what's going on. Mm -hmm. If there was one person who might not have wanted to see Ron DeSantis come to town, I'm guessing it might have been Paul Vallis. Yeah, Paul Vallis is the uh, in this field of, what is it, eight candidates or 12 or 15, whatever it is, uh, uh, lots of candidates. He's the one white guy, uh, and he's uh, uh, staked out the right wing on this in this group which are you know granted it's chicago politicians so they're not you know they're not spread all the way down the right wing they're pretty spread out on the left wing pretty far but 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 he is staked out the right side if you don't count willie wilson who's almost kind of his own situation uh but uh but that vals is is he's 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 uh he's extreme he's a big school choice guy uh charter schools uh, he's uh, got the backing of the Fraternal Order of Police, which is a very controversial uh, organization in Chicago, uh, and um, uh, you know money from developers, things like that. So he's and again, like I say, he's white. He's the white candidate in the Chicago politics. You got to you know race is always front and center, right? Uh, and um, so this highlights where he stands on that continuum for the voters right and and it allows because again he's the he's the front runner so to speak with looking like around 20 or 22 percent or something in the a bunch of polls that have been come out uh and so he's going to get hit uh by the others and the others are hitting him although not as much as you might think like for example chewy garcia who is a progressive running who is the only Latinx person in this field, uh, he uh, is not taking on Vallis because he doesn't feel like, I, I assume he's a progressive and he feels like he could beat him in the general. I think uh, Lori Lightfoot has got more of a fear uh, from Paul Vallis because she's kind of running in that. She used to be a progressive, but now apparently not, she's not a progressive anymore. And so she's running a little bit to, to the right of the progressives. 
Um, so yeah, he, he's looking for, he, this might be one of those weird situations where somebody wins the, pri the, the primary and just gets blown away in the runoff. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen, but it certainly could. This 20% for Vals could be his ceiling and not his floor in the general election, but we'll, ju we'll just have to see how that plays out. Now, Charlie, you've covered and followed uh, city politics there for a long time. Uh, it, how do you shape things up with uh, with this year's uh, field and, and what we're seeing in that race? Well, I think as, as Chris said, and as the polling suggests, uh, at the moment, Paul Vallis appears to be the front runner. But again, he's got the support of maybe 20, 22% of the likely voters. What that means is that 78% are going to vote for somebody else. And so assuming that Vallis makes it to the next round, the question is, whoever the other person is, what kind of support are they going to get from the 70 or so percent that wanted somebody other than Vallis or the other contender? And I'm thinking if, if Lightfoot makes it through, she may be in a more difficult position in the sense that there are a lot of people who don't like Lori Lightfoot and it'll be kind of a uh, Hobson's choice for them. Do I vote for Ballas or do I vote for Lightfoot? I don't particularly care for either of them. If one of the other candidates, if Chewy Garcia emerges as in the runoff, that a lot of the people who are now in the 78% that don't favor Ballas may well come over to Chewy. But it's a it's a wide open race and you just never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, and you know, you're exactly right, Charlie. I mean, it's 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 just really wild. We don't know what's going to happen. Of course, we won't probably know for a couple of weeks after Tuesday until they count all the uh, mail-in votes and yeah, all the yeah, and they've had, and they've had quite a few of those. So I think they've Absolutely. had the most early voting that they've ever had in Chicago. And, or, yeah, by a by a good way. Yeah, and it's also the case that um, the. Th you know, you got Vallis sort of around 20, 22 in the polls, that the polls can be trusted. But then you've got Lightfoot, uh, Lori Lightfoot, Chewy Garcia, and a guy named Brandon Johnson, who is really running hard on the left. And he's the, the Chicago Teachers Union's candidate almost exclusively. They're all running, you know, 16, 15, 17 percent or something like in a clump. And so the, the, the sort of race comes down to I mean, if, if things go according to how polling looks, Vallis gets in, and then one of those other three, either <clears throat> Lightfoot, Johnson, or Garcia, will get in the runoff. And that is so incredibly close between those three now. It's a it's complete toss-up. And then there's another group of people that are running who are more largely in the single digits, which will act as spoilers for whoever that support would have gone to otherwise, I suppose. And then Willie Wilson, who's the self-funded candidate, who's kind of a perennial rich guy who gives away a million dollars in gas, spends $60 million on his race and gets 10% almost every time he runs in the city of Chicago. For years, I think it's always been the idea that it's awful difficult to beat an incumbent. And here, Lori Lightfoot struggling in this race, uh, you know, is it, is that, does that still hold true? I mean, she's having to run on a record that the others, I mean, Paul Vallis, of course, has a record in the city as well, and many people don't like him for that, but but her record certainly much more fresh in people's minds. Uh, is is that being an incumbent more of a more of a hindrance in some cases? You know, as a chief executive, you're always making people mad. If you look at the if you plot the public opinion or the support of a chief executive, mayor, governor, president, it's almost always at the top when they get inaugurated, and it just keeps going down throughout their term. 
right? It, you you know, it can pop back up again if they had run for re-election. But the reason it goes down is that they, you know, they they spend their real or their election telling everybody how great things are going to be and promising them all sorts of stuff. And then after they get elected, they spend all their time telling the people how they can't do that because it's too difficult or what. They're disappointing one group after another and they're losing support. Now, um, there are advantages of being an incumbent. You're always on TV and you're the mayor or the governor, or whatever. And that that's counts for something. But the, the biggest uh, former advantage that Chicago mayors had uh, in, in terms of incumbency and as perfected by uh, the original mayor Daley back in the 50s, 60s and 70s was patronage. You, know, you had everybody working. They all owed you their job. All right. So they you could count on them voting for you, getting their family to vote for you, you know, working with the precinct camp and whatever. So and, and we don't have that anymore for the most part. Uh, the patronage has been is a, is a shadow of its former self. And so 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 Lori doesn't have that on her side. The other thing I think I think I think basically Lori uh, Lightfoot's got uh, from what I can tell, she got three things working against her other than the lack of patronages. Number one, she she lacks a natural constituency. She doesn't have a solid you know, this, you know, the downtown community loved Rom, right? So he, you know, and he had that group and and Daly as well. And and the Daly's also had the Irish and the, you know, and Chewy's got Latinx people out on the, you know, north and southwest side. So, uh, but Lori's, Lori doesn't have one of those. She didn't come up through politics. She doesn't have a ward, you know, she doesn't have a, a base of support. Uh, and, you know, she's black, but, you know, she lives in the north side in a white neighborhood and she didn't come up through politics there. And so she, you know, and she's gay, but the gay community doesn't really take her under their wing as far. I mean, so anyway, she's so she's missing that. And so when things go rough, if you, you don't, you know, you have a base of support, you know, you're, you, you got something to count on. She doesn't have that. Another thing that she's got uh, going for her is it's something I'm not sure if this is an actual thing, but you hear people talking about her being combative, uh, you know, and, and conflictual. Um, you know, one might say, well, maybe this is a sexist and, you know, kind of thing because she's a woman. Uh, you know, people talked about Ron being mean all the time uh, and, uh, you know, it was maybe seen as a good thing. But the other thing is, and this is as much as important as the rest of it, she has had a very difficult time this term that just just as of what's going on the two big things we had covid and then we had all the social the social justice protests in 2020 and those are very difficult they they they, they change politics around a lot of conflicting things uh ideologically as well as practically and and uh you know it's very difficult for a lot of chief executives but you're right she's uh I think largely counted out uh, by the chattering classes, but uh, I don't, you know, like I say, she's hanging in there. And if she gets in the, if she gets in the runoff of Vallis, it'll be an interesting race. And I think she'll beat him. Charlie, she even this week had a bit of a, a squabble in the, uh, in the public eye when it came to uh, the uh, state comptroller, Susanna Mendoza, pretty much putting blame on Lightfoot over her brother, uh, who is a city police officer there. He was uh, denied police disability benefits after receiving COVID. You know, this, you know, back and forth also happening here and certainly an issue I think Mendoza is is concerned about, but it also comes up right before voters, uh, voters make their final choice. I think the issue that really got to the controller was the treatment that her brother received. He had been a Chicago policeman for 22 years, he was hospitalized for 72 days, lost the use of his kidneys and his left arm, 
after he got COVID on the job, according to his lawyers. He hasn't been able to work since getting sick in November of 2020, which of course was before vaccines were available. He sought what's called a duty disability and was a, a policeman given a duty disability would have gotten 75% of his regular salary and free health care rather than what's an ordinary disability, which gives 50% of the salary, no health care, and only lasts for five years. So when Joaquin Mendoza applied, the police pension board voted four to three to deny Mendoza a due disability and instead giving him an ordinary one. And Susanna went crazy. And this is a quote, I never thought the city of Chicago would betray our officers like that. I told her, she's telling Lightfoot, that not only did you not have my brother's back and any other police officers like him, you stabbed him in the back and you twisted it into his heart. And you did the same to me. And of course, uh, the, the, through a spokesperson, the mayor said, no, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I appoint people to the board. Uh, and my appointees all voted against him, but so did one of the other people on the board who was not appointed by me, and I don't interfere with this stuff. And somebody else suggested maybe this is still hard feelings when Mendoza ran for mayor, what, four years ago, and finished way out of the pack, uh, not even making it to the runoff. But I thought it was it was very interesting, and it, it was the kind of thing that Mendoza did not bring it up until like a week or so before the the, the <laughs> yeah. primary. So who knows? And now legislation has been introduced to remedy this. And in my mind, it's, I think it's, it's, it's appropriate because the assumption is had he died, he would have gotten full disability. And one of her lawyers, one of his lawyers said, so the idea is uh, you're being punished for not dying. Oh. And so she is just, Susanna is just really furious about this. Let me save just a couple of minutes here. Charlie, I'm going to go to you on this. Uh, last week when we sat down to record the show, the Illinois Supreme Court had made a decision that uh, regards biometric privacy and a law that the state of Illinois has in place and has had for several years. Uh, this has some far-reaching effects. We didn't have time and really didn't understand the ruling well enough at that point to talk about it. But from what we have seen on this, you know, business groups are saying it could make companies look elsewhere when it comes to locating here. There's a lot of people out there saying, you know, the sky's going to fall. What's your reading on this uh, on this ruling? Well, I think it's very interesting because this is a a a law that has been in in place for some time. Illinois has the strictest law providing protection for person's private information of any of the states. And what the question revolved around, a, an employee for White Castle had contended that the law had been violated from day one that she joined. And this was like 10 years ago. And that White Castle repeatedly scanned her fingerprints and those of almost 9,500 other employees without their consent, which the law requires. And therefore, the company should pay the damages under the act. They should pay those damages for every single time that they scanned her fingerprints. And White Castle suggested it in, in its pleadings before the Supreme Court 
that that could cost White Castle more than $17 billion if it had to pay $1,000 per violation each and every time one of its employees used the fingerprint to access the computer or whatever. And the Supreme Court held in a 4-3 decision that the uh, biometric privacy law requires each time that a, a company misuses a person's private information, not just the first time, the company is liable. And of course, the, the business community is very upset. They filed Amici, Amici briefs, if that's how you pronounce it, Friends of the Court briefs, arguing that to rule that this is a continuing thing rather than, than a, a one-time thing uh, would be terribly destructive to many communities or many, many companies would ruin them. And it would also make it very hard for Illinois to attract new businesses to come here. And the, the ruling itself, the, uh, the, the four to three majority, which was composed of four democratic justices, but the three dissenters included the chief justice, Justice Marianne Tice, who is also a Democrat. And the, the majority opinion noted that, and I'm quoting from it here, ultimately, we continue to believe that policy-based concerns about potentially excessive damage awards under the act are best addressed by the legislature. We respectfully suggest that the legislature review these policy concerns and make clear its intent regarding the assessment of damages under the act. So the majority also noted the the problems if each and every time, and it's it gets down to kind of a dictionary controversy over what does disclose mean, and what the the plaintiffs are saying is disclose means every time I use my fingerprints on that scan, I'm disclosing them, and White Castle and the dissenters argued. No, you can only disclose them once because once they've been disclosed, they've been disclosed. And so you you can't re-disclose your fingerprint. And so that was the issue at stake. And as I say, that the even the the majority in this 24-page opinion said that, you know, we think the legislature ought to take a look at this because we don't think they really intended to put people out of business. So we'll see where it goes from here. All right. Well, it's time now for our notes from the field. And Chris, let's start with you. Yes. Well, happy days are here again in the state of Illinois. Uh, this week, uh, the the latest of the new round of casinos has opened up, this time in Waukegan, uh, close to the Wisconsin border, uh, along with the one in Rockford that opened up last year. So hopefully they can draw some of the uh, people uh, down uh, to take some of their money for them and devoted to Illinois uh, state coffers. Uh, the South uh, Suburban uh, Casino is being built. I drive by that every day, and uh, it's uh, going to be a while. Danville and Williamson County, I believe, will be opening late in the year. This will help uh, potentially add more money to the state of Illinois coffers. Last year, we uh, last fiscal year, state made almost $2 billion on casino revenue. All right. And Charlie? Well, sticking with gambling for a while, the Illinois Lottery reported there were record sales in the first half of the current fiscal year, which ran from June 30th to December 31st. There were $1.8 billion in, in lottery ticket sales, and that provided $468 million in state revenue. 
and they're predicting for the current fiscal year, which ends on June 30th, we may have $1 billion in lottery revenue, the bulk of which goes to help fund education. Now, there were a couple of rather unusual events that contributed to this. One was that in November, there was a $2 billion Powerball uh, lottery going on, and a lot of people bought tickets for that. And there was also a Mega Millions jackpot in July after the start of the fiscal year that was won by an Illinois resident. And so the lottery officials think that the huge sizes of these jackpots may have enticed additional people to buy tickets. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Professor Emeritus Chris Mooney. You can get a podcast of our show. It's available at nprillinois.org through the NPR One app or iTunes. Just look for State Week. I'm Sean Crawford, and join us next time. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.